Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super happy to be with all of you this morning and this evening because we have a class um, both here in the morning in the United States and evening with our friends from Israel. So I'm super excited to be with you in community. Um, thank you again for all of those who are joining. Um, we've been looking forward to this class for a, a long time now as we had people reaching out to us and asking us, how can I get involved? What can I do? And here we are, my friends. So thank you so much. I'm super excited to have um, our friend uh, Donna, who was uh, uh, born in England and raised in the Netherlands and Israel. Donna, tell me, has over 20 years of experience working in the fields of uh, experiential education and service learning. She started her career as a tour guide in Israel in Hebrew, English, and Dutch. After working for several years as a tour guide throughout Israel, Dana moved to the United States and continued her involvement for Jewish education. She was an educator at the Teva Learning Alliance and a teacher at the Florence Mountain School. In 2002, Dana led her first service learning trip to Honduras and Ukraine and the Amer with the American Jewish World Service, who we absolutely love. Shout out American Jewish World Service. She continued leading a service learning program for the Jewish college for Jewish college students for the next few years. In 2015, she joined AJWS staff as a responsible for hiring, training, and managing group leaders for family um, for service learning trips to Africa, Asia, and Latin America. In 2007, Donna returned to Israel with her family soon after founding Yael. Israel, the Yael, the Israel Le Service Learning, an Israeli nonprofit that brings young people from around the world to Israel to uh, for service and social action programs. Dana holds a BA in Israel Studies from Bar Ilan University and an MSW with a focus on community organizing and group work from the University of North Carolina. Dana loves living in Sichron and Yaakov with her husband and three children. She currently serves at the board of Atsum Justice Works. Nana, we're so happy to have you here. I know that we've been getting a ton of people that were asking us, what can we do? Where do we go? How do, how do we get involved in, in supporting Israel right now? Thank you so much for being here. Tell us a little bit about your organization and, and, and what's going on right now. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you, uh, Eddie. And thank you, Shmuley. I know Shmuley from AJWS. That's how the connection was made many, many years ago. Um, so I'll start and say that um, just a, a few words about my organization, and then I'll talk a little bit more about what's happening right now and what the needs are and what can be done. So I started Yahel 14 years ago. And at the time, I felt that there are many needs in Israel that can and should be answered by international volunteers. I also felt then and still do now that volunteering is something that needs to be done thoughtfully and not, you know, kind of as a matter of fact. I think that volunteering is, is um, needs to be done with almost like with dusha, with like, you know, with this with a sense of holiness, because volunteering can be done, can be great and can also be less great, you know. Um, so the point of the organization was really to bring as many people as we can to Israel, to engage them with Israel through social change to help local communities, um, but to also really see Israel for what it is. 
Um, I love Israel. I've, you know, lived here all my life. And I also know that just like many other places in the world, there are things here that need to be taken care of. And there's issues here, social issues, just like the ones that you guys engage with thoughtfully at Uri Tzedek. Um, same, same here. And I think it's really important to kind of see them for what it is and then try and see what we can do about them. Um, so that's kind of what brought me to, to start the organization. We have right now about 700 alumni from our different service programs here in Israel. Um, and that's just for our longer programs. We actually also do many shorter things here and there. We, we kind of don't count those as our alumni. Uh, but um, I would say on an average year, there's about 800 people that come to our programs, some long programs, but some also very short, uh, short uh, service learning experiences. Um, so that's kind of, you know, kind of big picture about the organization. Um, shall I delve in a little bit in terms of what's happening right now? Great. All right. And then feel free to, to stop me. And if other people also have questions, please do. I would love for this to be conversational. Um, so there's obviously, I'll take a step back and I'll talk a bit about where we were at on October 7th and what's happened since. So... We have a nine month fellowship um, of people from all over the world. Um, this year we had people from eight different countries that came to, to be here for nine months. They are post-college, so 22 to 30. So on October 7th um, in the morning when I understood everything that was going on, obviously my first concern was for these fellows that we have here. They're based in three different cities in Haifa in the north, in Loden and Rishon in the center. And uh, as soon, ba basically in the morning, the rockets already started flying. So it was clear that we really need to figure out what we do. And that's in addition to the fact that obviously I care about my family and my eldest daughter is in the army and right, like, so, so it was, it was kind of like this dual caring, you know, both seeing what's going on with our fellows and then also um, what's going on with friends and family and whatnot. Uh, we took care of our fellows. We brought some of them. Actually, some of them I brought to my house, and they stayed here. Uh, it was it was there was a lot of rockets in Rishon, particularly. Um, and then, kind of, you know, the, the next few days, things started to to like we started understanding what's happening, and many of our fellows decided to leave the country. Don't blame them. It was a scary moment. And actually, what we did a few days later is that we suspended our fellowship. Um, in that, in those beginning days, it was very unclear kind of where this was going to. Um, and then actually what we did right after is that we started, oh, that's so nice that Ana Lucia is here too. Um, what we did is that we started a, a campaign. We have all these hundreds of alumni and everyone was asking us, what can we do? And we realized that in the first few days, volunteers is not what was needed. In the first few days, what was needed was resources, help. So we raised in the first few weeks of the war over half a million shekels from our from from a crowdfunding campaign, which for us is a lot. We're we're not a big organization, you know, so all of a sudden um, we just really saw that people wanted to give and wanted to help. Um, and uh, we started helping our partners on the ground um, we did anything from a lot of help with food. In the beginning, it was food for evacuees, food for soldiers, um, food for people in need. We actually also um, 
we, we realize that a lot of the organizations that we work with on a regular basis are already uh, populations in need, right? So, and now they're even more in need. So we helped refugees and asylum seekers. We helped uh, Bedouin re residents in the South with food. We found ourselves evacuating a family from the town of Ofakim because they were not evacuated by the government. They were right there where everything happened and they just, they were begging to get out. So we did all of these very immediate assistance work, which honestly, I never thought in my life that I would do. I never thought that I would be involved in food packages and evacuation and things like that. Uh, but really the idea was to help and, and also have money quickly because there are now there's a lot more money going into places, but it took time. It took time for the government to get organized. It took time for the federations and, and whatever to get organized. So we found ourselves really doing a lot of direct humanitarian work wherever we could. Uh, we're, we still have some funds from, from that campaign that we're now starting to, that we're now kind of continuing to give out and the needs have changed. Uh, but there still are a lot of needs. Um, and then in the, that's, so that was one thing that happened right after the war started. Um, the second thing that happened was that as things progressed, we realized there actually is a, a need for volunteers. And in the first few weeks, foreign volunteers weren't coming so quickly. So what we did is that we started working with new immigrants. And that was a really interesting experience because we realized usually new immigrants or olim chadashim are on the receiving end, but they actually wanted to be on the giving end. Um, and they didn't know how because they don't have the language and it's much harder for them to figure out ways to volunteer. But volunteering is really important, particularly in times of crisis. It gives you a sense of resiliency. It gives you a sense of belonging. It gives you a sense of hope. So in the first few weeks, we engaged, I would say anywhere between 20 and 200 uh, um, Olim every week in agricultural volunteering a lot um, and also in food packaging. Um, and now we've continued doing that. We have a program now that we work uh, like a slightly longer program that we work with new immigrants. So that was another kind of pivot that happened that was really interesting. And the third thing that happened is that we started slowly to renew some of our programs. So our fellowship is back in uh, in action right now. It's a smaller group, but we have our fellows back. And then this Sunday, we're opening a six-week volunteer program. Um, in the beginning of March, we're hoping to, to also hope, uh, start a, a service program with the Metro West Federation. So these are older adults. Um, and then we have other programs. We can talk about that. Hopefully, you know, this might be interesting for some people. But um, yeah, that's kind of, I would say, what where we are at right now. Thank you so much. So I'm I'm really curious. Tell me a little bit more about the inspiration behind the initiation of 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 the organization. What drove you specifically to start this? What in your heart? I I love that you talked about in your bio your your service with uh, AJWS. Did that spark yeah. a bit of of your passion to also oh, uh, do service work? A hundred percent. That's where Yahel was born. A hundred percent. I'll tell you how. So I so I did a lot of education work. And then I started, and then I found, I really remember the moment because my husband actually got the, we weren't, we weren't married that then, but he got the email that they were looking for group leaders. And I kind of like pushed him to the side and said, uh-uh, I want to do that. Um, and at that point I had learned Spanish 
already and I felt like this is right up my alley. So I started taking these groups to Honduras and I loved it. I, I felt that, again, when it's done thoughtfully and well, and you're not only thinking about the volunteer and what's most fun for them, but you're really thinking also about what are the needs and what is the community you know, what, what are the local needs and how do you answer them? How do you do this in a respectful way? How do you not show up as a white savior, you know, and, and kind of do everything? How do you, uh, how do you cultivate, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anava. Um, I'm thinking about it in Hebrew. Um, maybe someone can help me. But, you know, how, how do you, how do you kind of do it from a place of, of respect um, so yeah, I really loved my time at AJWS and, um, I actually never thought I would start a nonprofit that was not on my to-do list. But when I, when we decided to go to Israel, um, for me, it was coming back to Israel. A few things happened. One was that people simply started asking me, can you do similar stuff in Israel? Can you come for longer periods of time to Israel and do thoughtful volunteer work? And I, and I knew the landscape a little bit, and I realized that not that much, right? Like a lot of the Israel programs do like a day here, like maybe you make sandwiches, maybe you clean a beach, but like there's not a whole ton that's very, very deep and community-based. So that was one thing. And then the second thing is that I had many alumni from the programs that I led at AJWS, and I saw that some, not all of them, but some would not touch Israel with a 10-foot pole. These were young Jews with a very strong social justice identity, and Israel was not where they were going. And that, for me, as a, I'd say, liberal Israeli, was very worrisome. I, I don't need them to make aliyah, but I wanted them to at least be in conversation. Um, and I felt that the door that they were offered to go through doesn't fit everyone. And for, for some people, some people didn't want to do birthright. Uh, some people did birthright, but but wanted to to dig in deeper, um, and I felt that an invitation to do real service work and do in depth learning that goes with it, you know, will engage those folks. Um, yeah, so that's how that's how I was born, hundred percent as as an outcome. I love that, and and I love that because I know for us, especially um, AJWS was a huge. Um, a huge inspiration. I know Rabbi Shmuley has always taught me and his mentorship with me how much uh, his involvement with AJWS inspired our collective work here with uh, what we do with uh, a lot of the asylum seekers and refugees. I'm interested, um, Dana, because I, I remember something that I heard from the great uh, uh, Ruth Messenger where she talked about how impactful a well was that she built um, to help communities. They're like, well, how did you know that this was the most impactful thing? She said, well, we asked them, how did you guys come up with the idea to be able to cultivate service in Israel that was the most impactful to the community around? We do the same thing. It's so simple. We just ask. It really is so simple. But I'll tell you something. I think that in Israel doesn't need wells to be built. And Israel, in most places, doesn't need, no, in all places, doesn't need to have buildings built and doesn't need to have schools, you know, like that's not where we're at, thank God. Um, but there are a lot of other needs. And usually what we do, no matter where our program, so I'll say that our, our fellowship is based in Rishon, Lod, and in Haifa, but we work in a lot of other places as well. 
The first thing that we do, which is exactly what AJWS does, is that we find our partners. Um, I don't I don't know all of these towns. I live in one town. I don't know all these other cities. I don't know what the needs there are, even though I'm Israeli, I still I don't know the needs. So I have to have partners. A lot of times the partners that we work with are social change organizations, are community change organizations, you know, do community empowerment work um, or other types. Usually, like right now, when we work, uh, there's uh, places where we've worked for years. So we have many different partners, but it's a lot of conversations and it's a lot of seeing, you know, how can we, how can our volunteers best answer needs? What are the needs? Where is it, where does it make sense for us to be and where not? You know, sometimes when you come with people from outside, not everything is relevant to them, you know, and, and sometimes we have volunteers who want to do great work. But it's not, you know, they they don't have the language skills or they don't have the cultural ability to do everything. So it's it's ongoing conversation and really understanding what the needs are. And I think, and this is, you know, a segue a little bit also into what is happening right now. I think that, and and this is in some ways like kind of the part of the message that I want to send out there to to people from around the world who want to come to Israel. Um, the needs are all-encompassing. The needs are all over Israeli society. I think it's, you know, when you look at kind of what, what kind of volunteer programs are happening right now, there's a lot of focus on agriculture, right? And there's some focus on food packaging. Um, those are definitely needs that are there, but there's so much more because this is a very small uh, country, right? And of course, you have the people who live in the, you know, in, in the Gaza envelope that have been affected by this, and the, the eighty thousand people from the north who've been evacuated. But there's so many additional ripples to what's happening in society. I want to give you just one example. About three hundred thousand people were constrict were were drafted right um, to to reserve duty. About, I would say, let's say 150,000 are in regular army duty, like my daughter, right? So you're talking about close to half a million people who are in the army. Now, not all of them are serving in Gaza for sure, but a lot of them are in the army. Think about each one of those soldiers has probably at least five people in their immediate circle. So right there, you have two million people who are worried not sleeping well, concerned, stressed, right? So just, just think about, and it doesn't matter where they live, right? And then so, and, and that's just that pocket. You think about the people who know the hostages. You think about the people who've lost, there's close to 1,400 people who died. There's close to 15,000 people who are injured. Each one of them has circles. So today when we do our programs, we understand that Yes, we will help agriculture for sure, but there's such a need in the communities and no matter where those communities are, there's a need to work with youth. There's a need to work with children. Think about children in schools whose teachers, they don't have the bandwidth right now, you know, to just do their regular work, particularly if let's say the husband of the teacher is in reserve duty, right? Like there's a level of stress in society that's very, very high. So I believe that there's a real need to, to answer those needs as well, right? Like the societal needs. And I actually think that particularly young people 
um, who who come from outside and who come with good energy can be so, so, so helpful. Eddie, I see that there's some questions and I'm not yeah, following them. A, so you- I got you, you. Them yeah. Quick, okay? Yes. Um, it looks like Sarah Coleman asks, how, was, how has the war impacted you emotionally in your volunteering? Um, has the war changed the way you work? And I think you kind of touched a little um, bit about that. Yeah, I think it, it's a it's a good question. I think that it has made us more aware of, um, first of all, we've learned a lot about resilience. We've learned a lot about what resilience means and how resilience needs to be built. Um, and we've we've learned a lot about kind of where where there's more needs and where we need to be present. But we also learned that uh, whoever in society was already kind of in need before is going to be that much more in need right now. So, for example, there's a population of about 40,000 refugees and asylum seekers in Israel. That's a population who is um, who doesn't receive government assistance in most cases. So if you are an asylum seeker who's living in, in the south and you're in a town that was evacuated by the government, government is not going to evacuate them, right? So all of a sudden they're in a situation where they are much more in need. Or if they lose their job, they're not going to get social security. They don't get social security. So, you know, so so it, it's, it's really kind of heightened our awareness to how crises, um, first they, or not first, but they very much um, kind of strike those who are already, you know, in, in a lower place. I also want to be positive here for a second, okay, because I don't want to paint a completely gloomy picture. What the other thing that we've really seen in all of our volunteer efforts is tremendous strength. One out of every two Israelis over the last few months has been volunteering. It's been incredible. You know, like you see people everywhere. My 75-year-old aunt goes to pick, uh, you know, to pick tomatoes like two, three times a week. People are really showing up, A, as volunteers, and B, you had a tremendous, particularly in the first couple of months, a tremendous amount of initiative taking. So people were thinking outside of the box, left, right, and center. Sometimes even I wanted them to like stop inventing and just like collaborate for a second because, you know, in a very Israeli way, everyone wants to like do something different. Um, but it's, it shows tremendous strength. It's so I think it shows tremendous resilience. And I think that that's also something that we've seen, uh, this desire to help. This, and, and I see volunteering both as a tool for, resi for resilience um, and also a manifestation of resilience. Because when you volunteer, you step up to take control, right? Like you seek something to do about a situation. That's what volunteering is ultimately. And so, and, and that gives you a sense of resilience. Because if you're passive and you're a victim and this is happening to me and there's nothing I can do about it, that's a weakening state of being. But if you step up and you, you know, you, we see here, uh, families who've lost their their kids in the war and they're stepping up to volunteer to help other families. It's like it's un unbelievable, but it just I think really shows strength. Hope that answered the question. Thank you. What are the emergent needs right now, and and how are you adapting to that? 
Um, so as I said before, the a lot of the needs are on a societal level. I'll say that there's what so one of the needs that is is huge is that of the evacuees. There are probably around 160,000, something like that, evacuees, both from the south and for the, from the north, maybe even more than that. Um, and that's a huge number. Think about people living in hotels for three months, you know, for over three months. Um, now, it's interesting because when I talk to people in the States, like they're saying, oh, well, they're, you know, they're comfortable and they're, they're in hotels. And that's true in terms of kind of their physicality. Turns out actually that it's been a really difficult experience for many. Think about a family that all of a sudden is in, in a one bedroom, parents, kids, everybody. Think about the fact that the parents don't have jobs, have lost income. Um, took a while to figure out where the kids go. And then there's been a, almost like an after effect of having kids live in hotels, particularly kind of teens, um, um, where and, and youth, where the parents don't always know where they are. So there's actually been a lot of issues with in, in that realm. Now, um, they say that about half of the people who are in the hotels have actually left independently and, and started renting their own apartments. So, you know, that's good for them. And what it means is that the people who are left in the hotels are the people who can't afford to move out. So you've got an even weakened population in those hotels. So that's very tricky. Um, I, I will say that I we have done a little bit of work in the hotels, but we often find that that's probably a place where there needs to be more consistency and Hebrew speaking, particularly the people who were evacuated from the South where there's been, there's just so much difficulty and there's, there's a need there for professional support. Uh, but we've done a little bit of, of work with the evacuees. So I'd say that, you know, that's kind of one population. Um, and then the, the second piece is, is, you know, what, what, a lot, what are a lot of these still kind of basic needs? We've done a lot of food packaging. Again, st stuff that we didn't do so much before because we've been doing more community-based work, but there just is a need. We just did a food packaging um, thing, uh, activity this past Monday. Uh, this was actually an interesting uh, project that we did. Uh, we did this with Jews and Arabs together. Um, and uh, the idea was uh, it both goes to Arab residents and to Jewish residents, but we also wanted to packing to do together. It was very meaningful. It's not a lot, not a lot of that is happening right now, but we felt like uh, this is a special way for people to come together and also to come together around doing good, you know, and, and not being in, a, in, in, the, ex in the extreme spaces. Um, so that's another piece. Um, we've also done, you know, agricultural work for sure. We've done that for weeks. There's a there's a big need there. And then the last thing is what what I said before is really focusing also on just the, the ongoing needs, working with youth, working with youth at risk, working in schools, um, a lot of a lot of those needs. Wow, I I love that. Just even thinking about the fact that there you're, there's communities working together in a time where a lot of what we hear here in the United States is that the separation narrative, right? 
that Arab Israelis are uh, somehow completely shunned and not supported at all. We're not even helping. I love hearing that. Talk to me a little bit more about um, what volunteering looks like. Are you seeing just amounts of American volunteers or are you seeing global volunteers? And are you seeing non-Jewish volunteers supporting you? Um, yes, yes, and yes. Um, I would say also, first of all, in terms of volunteering options, we're not the only thing out there, right? There's been birthright groups. I think birthright brought maybe, I don't know, a thousand volunteers or something like that. They brought a lot of a, a lot of people for short programs. Those programs are mostly focused on agriculture and food packaging, but they brought they brought big amounts. Uh, Massa has now started six week programs, and they also have been, you know, bringing people. We also collaborate with them. Uh, JNF has been bringing groups, so there are different groups that are coming. Um, and yes, I would say there's there's definitely a a majority of of Jews coming, but there's also a lot of interest from non Jews. I know for some of our programs, some of you know what frustrates me is that there's less funding for non Jews to come. Um, so they're pay their way more. Um, but yeah, there's definitely interest in, in our programs also. A lot of interest also for our future programs. Um, I see that there's people from all over the world who want to come. Absolutely. During this like hard part of what's going on, what has been something that's been so inspirational for you that has grounded you? Um, can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. Um, because I'm gonna go not with with something, but with someone. Um, a lot of, as I said before, a lot of the work that we do is with partners. And I want to tell you the story of one of our partners that we work with because she's a remarkable woman. So her name is Yahaloma. She has a special name in Hebrew, kind of derives from uh, from jewel, uh, from diamond actually. And Yahaloma is a a real grassroots activists, uh, activist woman. She's probably, I don't know, in her 60s, maybe something like that. She lives in the town of Ofakim. Now, I don't know how much you know kind of the geography, but Ofakim is down south. It is a little outside of what's kind of defined as the Gaza uh, envelope area. But on October 7th, they did have terrorists that came to that town. Uh, 54 people were killed in Ofakim. Many of them were in the same small neighborhood. Uh, it's a neighborhood that kind of has like one, um, one, uh, uh, gosh, I'm thinking in Hebrew, uh, one street that goes from one side to the neighborhood to the other. It seems like the terrorists kind of knew that. And so they, they went into that because it kind of blocks the neighborhood off. Anyway. Yaloma lives in that town on October 7th. One of the first things that I did after I made sure that our fellows are okay was that I, I, I tried calling her. She wrote me back. She said, I can't answer. There's terrorists outside of my door. So I said, okay, keep, you know, be safe. Tell me how you're doing. That was probably like, I don't know, 8, 9 a.m. in the morning. Throughout the day, I tried again. I wrote her at 12 and I wrote her at 3 and I wrote her at whatever. Um, and every time she wrote to me, I can't talk. There's still people outside, we can't go out. So this woman was in her safe room with her family for probably about 24 hours until they, until they were allowed to, to be released. Um, 
And so that, you know, that's kind of where this started for her. She for years has been working on community organizing in Ofakim, and she was one of the first people in Israel who build resiliency centers. Um, and so she built, she basically started doing community work right when, right when this started. Uh, it what started with bringing people food. Uh, it continued with going really from home to home and listening to people. Because one of the things that happened, particularly in Afakim, was that people went through what they went through on October 7th, and no one came to talk to them. For whatever reason, I don't know, overwhelmed, a lot of people to talk to, I'm not here to blame, but there were people who had, you know, gunshots in their, in their apartments, they were still living there, and no one came to see how they were doing. So she did that, she de facto kind of social worked so many different people. She then uh, created a collaboration with the university and brought a team of mental health professionals to start working with the community. She now recently, uh, she, she was a lot involved with helping with you know, the, the food needs. And then recently, one of the things that she did is that she actually started a yoga program for some of the people who went through some of that stuff, understanding that kind of body-mind is really important in this situation. Um, so that's like one woman in one little town who stepped up and, and went through hell and is and was doing so much. And I find that just so inspirational. She works 24 seven. She's out there going from home to home. Um, and I wish that you all could meet her. Um, cause she, re she really is, she and many more of, of these kind of grassroots leaders are very inspiring. Wow. And I think that stories like that are what keep us going, right? Stories like that are, are just what will really impact us to continue our work. Thank you so much for sharing that. That, that was really impactful. So tell me a little bit, Noah, why now? Why should we volunteer right now where there is a lot of anxiety, a lot of reasons why not to travel across the country, especially for American Jews um, who who feel so anxious with what's happening right now. What would you say to the folks who are feeling tons of anxiety right now? First of all, to be honest, it doesn't need to be right now. It can also be in a month and it can also be in three months and it can also be in six months. That's fine. I really believe that. I don't think that there is an urgency that you need to come and fix right now. I'll be I'll be as you know as transparent as possible. I do think that rethinking how the relationship is between world jewelry and Israel and and understanding that physical uh, collaboration and service work is incredibly important in the next many years to come. But I would say in this, especially in the next year. I think that that's what's important. So it's not about, do I need to get on a plane tomorrow? But it's more like, I am going to commit that I will you know, will come in solidarity and not for like a three-day visit, but to spend a little bit more time and to see how I can help rebuild Israeli society. I think that's what it's about. Now, there are many volunteers here now, right? Like we have volunteers, other programs have volunteers. Um, and they're good and they're being taken care of just like other Israeli citizens. And if need be, excuse me, they go to um, to bomb shelters. Right now, there's actually very few sirens and very, few, you know, knock on wood. Um, 
But again, I also, I really also think that, that the, that unfortunately this is not ending soon. And even when it will end, it will not be, you know, we won't go back to regular reality within a day or two. This is going to be with us for, for months, if not more. So I think it is fine to also say, well, I'm going to spend my summer in Israel, right? Like I'm going to come in June. Uh, I'm going to come in May. I'm going to like, that's, there will be plenty to do then as well. How long are you saying that people are typically volunteering right now? How long are people volunteering? There's a lot of two week programs happening one week, two week, things like that. Uh, we are doing a little bit of those too. To be honest, don't love it. I love, you know, the longer, I think the more impactful, but I also understand that people have, you know, limit, you know, have, have lives. So it's hard to get away. So at this point, I feel like any, you know, any length of time that people come is good. We have a, um, on Sunday, we have a six week program that's starting. Uh, we have in June, the beginning of June, we have another six week program that will, be, that will start. That's going to be in Haifa. We will also have an eight-week program in the summer. Um, the six-week program is for folks 18 to 40, so it's quite a spread. Um, and then the eight-week program is for people who are uh, kind of 18 to 25 or 30, something like that. Um, so, um, so those are opportunities to come that are a little bit longer. Um, and then we're also, you know, we're also doing shorter things in the coming weeks, as are others. So I think there's a lot of different ways. I think it really depends on how much people, how much time people have, how, how long they want to come for. Uh, but it's, and, and, and in October, we have our fellowship starting, which is nine months long. So, you know, that's also that's that's the, I think, best and most impactful way to come and be here uh, for people who have the time. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more what it looks like. Um, let's say I want to volunteer. Um, what is like housing look like? What is my ex like day to day experience with you look like? Is there a spot for Jewish learning involved in, in the volunteering? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, great. So it depends, again, on the program. Uh, but on all of our programs, all the ones that I mentioned, right, like the six weeks, the eight weeks, the nine months, all of those programs have um, housing included, have a living stipend included in most of them. So you'd get like money for food. You have your health insurance covered. You have um, and then you have also a lot of learning opportunities and travel opportunities, depending, you know, obviously on a six week program, you have less than what you have in a nine month program. Um, and in terms of Jewish learning also depends on the program in some of the programs in the shorter programs, it's more kind of text based stuff that we bring where we tackle and think a little bit of, you know, um, have sessions on, on how to think about the different issues that we deal with uh, through a Jewish lens. On our fellowship, we actually have a full course that we do with Rabbi Levi Lauer. I don't know if you've ever heard of Levi Lauer, but he's a he's it's a real honor to learn with him. He was one of the rabbi or one of the founders of the Pardes Institute in Jerusalem. Uh, he now runs an organization called um, Atsum, which does justice work here in Israel, and he's a real kind of deep Torah, um, you know, um, imbued social activist. So it's a real honor to, to study with him, but that's on our longer nine-month fellowship. 
Yeah. But I would say that in most of our experiences, and it doesn't matter if it's a week or six weeks or, or eight months, the, the model that we use is a service learning model. And the service learning model means that in addition to volunteering, essentially there's three other components that happen. One is contextual learning. So understanding the context of what you're doing and where you're doing and why you're doing it and often speaking with someone local and kind of really getting that the understanding. Um, there's values-based learning, which is, you know, usually from in, in our mishpacha, it's Jewish learning, but it's really understanding the ethics of what it is that we do and how does Judaism influence um, how we help the other. And the third piece is reflection, just really making time and space to reflect on what it is that we do, um, where it meets us, what we learn from this, what it, how it um, influences the kind of people that we want to be you know, when we finish this. So all three components are part of our programs as well. Yeah. Thank you. And I I would not hold true to uh, what Uri Lidzedek is all about if I didn't ask you, what piece of Torah grounds you? What What's a piece of Torah that you hold on to that inspires yeah. you? Yeah, so you sent that question before and I and I, and I had to think about it for, for a second because I didn't want to answer you something that's too basic, but I have to say like, what I'm going to say is pretty basic, um, but it's just like, it's so strong for me, which is, um, or in English, you're not free to desist. You are not obligated to finish the work. Um, neither are you free to desist. Neither are you free to desist from it. Yes. So from Pirkei Avot. So, Again, like I know that it's like, you know, very like a quote that 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 is everywhere, but it does deeply resonate because I I very much believe in our responsibility. And I think that we all need to always think about what is our responsibility in any given situation. And we can't have that bog us down. And, you know, feeling that we are responsible for everything because we're not and we can't and we won't do anything, you know, if, if we believe that. At the same time, we also can't say, well, you know, this is not mine and someone else fix it. So I find that to be really, really at the core of what we do, at, at the core of what our volunteers do, understanding that, yeah, they are. It is their responsibility to show up right now. They don't have to drive themselves crazy and do everything, but yes, it is it is our responsibility as as Jews, as humans, you know, to to show up. So that's Thank my you. answer for you. Thank you so so much. And just to finish off, before we move on to questions from folks who are online watching, um, how do we get involved? How how can we reach you? How can we start getting things going? Sure. So. Our website, um, yahelisrael.com. I'll write it here in the chat most also. Um, and I will also say, oh, did I send that? Did it go? No. It did not. No. All right. I'll, I'll figure this out in a second. Um, but here we go. So you have all of our programs are on the website. You can definitely go in there and see um, my, I will also give people my personal email and you're more than welcome to reach out to me directly. 
One of the things that I didn't talk about at all is that we are also now doing quite a lot of um, kind of tailor-made programs. So if there is a group of people who want to come together, if there is a community that wants to come together and, you know, the dates that we have are not a good fit, then we are building also specific programs for specific communities. So you can definitely, um, you can, you know, you can definitely check in with us. I see here a question about kids. Depends on the age. Um, older adults, definitely. And in terms of kids, depends, you know, depends on the age, depends who, who they're coming with. We don't accommodate, we don't work with individuals. So that's the one thing is that we can't, we can't take individuals, you know, but we really need them to be a part of the program, a part of a program. Um, so yeah, so you can uh, look at the website at, for those programs that I mentioned before, the, the six week, the eight week, the nine months. Um, and then the other things that we have. And the other thing that I would say is we're definitely not the only, um, we're, we're not the only ones out there, right? Like look at what Birthright is offering and if that's a good fit for you or look at what some of your, your local federations are offering. Uh, we're doing a program with, uh, with two federations coming up, you know, so, so be on the lookout for that as well. The maximum size of the group, is that the question? Uh, so usually I would say the minimum size is more of the issue. A group for us is 15 people and more. Yeah. Thank you so much. I know that we've also gotten direct messages from some folks who um, are been sending us some things. Um, and we're going to move on to our final questions because that way we can... Um, Make sure that Donna has a good night in Israel. And I know she's had a busy day today. Um, one of the questions here from our teens um, is, how do you overcome the fear right now? Um, I, I, right now in where I live and in a lot of places in Israel, um, I don't, I don't think fear is a piece of our day-to-day -day lives, to be honest, definitely not where I live, but also in other places, there's way less sirens, if any, and you'd be surprised, like life goes on. Uh, I have my in-laws visiting from Miami, and I think they thought that they were coming for a war zone, and they're not. They're seeing people sitting in restaurants and in cafes and going to school and going to, you know, and my son is going to dance and my daughter is going to you know so life right now has resumed again obviously there's populations for which right life has changed dramatically if you live in the south or in the north but most of the people in tel aviv in jerusalem in haifa and in everything in between um we're right now not living in fear where we might be living in worry but not in fear i hope that answers that Yes, thank you so much. We got another question. What does safety look like for volunteers? Um, so, you know, they have, it, again, it depends on the program, but they, we, we work with a Jewish agency on most of our programs and they have their safety and security people. They give us very clear directives on what we can and cannot do. So for example, they tell us when we do day trips, where we're allowed to go and where we're not allowed to go, what kind of security people we need to have with us. We also prep all of our fellows and, and volunteers to know what happens if there is sirens or if there is anything like that. So they know, 
Um, the fellows that we have here right now, unfortunately, have already had the experience of being in a bomb shelter. Some of them many, many times. They decided to stay anyway, which I think is fantastic. So they know what it's like, and they know that the big piece here is actually Iron Dome. Like Iron Dome, amazing invention, keeps people safe, you know, 99% of the time. So uh, so, as, as, so it's a lot of just knowing what you do, how you respond. Um, and if you're living in, you know, in Rishon or in Lod or in Tel Aviv area, the main thing that you need to know how to handle is when there are rocket attacks and when there are sirens. Those don't happen as frequently at all. But when they do, you need to know how you respond, just like Israelis respond. So people are really learning how it, what it's like to be an Israeli. Thank you so much, Dana. Uh, muchas gracias. Uh, eres una inspiración. Uh, you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of us. I know that um, this was something that our community has really been looking forward to. Um, a lot of folks have been reaching out to us. Um, we re deeply appreciate your work. I, I know that so many people uh, were, were so happy that we were having you on this call. And um, I know Rabbi Shmuley was really excited. Um, he's currently traveling right now, so he's only yeah. to listen. But he uh, was so excited to have you on here, as were a lot of us. And we hope to see you in in, in Israel soon and um, volunteer and be able to support you. Everybody, uh, we're going to be attaching the website to uh, Yael as well. So if those of you who are interested, please reach out to us as well. We'll connect you uh, to make sure that you can uh, reach out and volunteer. The best way to face adversity, in my opinion, and to cloud away from the hate is to truly give back with kindness. And that's what you're doing, Dana. So uh, appreciate you. Take care. And we'll Thank talk. You. Thank you. Thank you. Really nice meeting you. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Ana Lucia, for the warm words. I appreciate it a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.